Shalom and welcome to Amla Vadad Yishkon number 11. At the very end of last week's discussion, we came together with Am Yisrael to Har Sinai. And we saw that already at the very first moment that Moshe Rabbeinu received his mission at the at the burning bush, he was told that Har Sinai would be a very important stop on the way from Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan, and that something very significant was going to happen there. And we saw in Parshat Yitro, in the Perek Yud Ted of Sefer Shmot, we saw that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai, and he was given there a very simple description of what was about to be take place. The people were meant were asked to enter into a covenant with Hashem, and he was told, this is what the people were asked to accept, Perek Yud Tet, Pasuk Hei of Sefer Shemot, They were asked to enter into and to observe the covenant. Then, That's what's going to make them into the chosen people. And then came the key phrase, Ve'atem tihiyuli mamlechet kohanim v'goi kadosh. This week and also next week, I'd like to explore with you the meaning of that expression. Ve'atem tihiyuli mamlechet kohanim v'goi kadosh. You shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I'd like to contend that that expression contains within it the secret to what Amle Vadad Yishkon really means. Let's start with the word kohanim. Ve'atem tihiyuli mamlechet kohanim. What does it mean to be a Kohen? It's followed up with the expression Goy Kadosh. So apparently, being a Kohen, being a priest, has something to do with being holy. But what exactly is a Kohen? What is a priest? What, is that, what does that role indicate? Perhaps, in order to understand this, we can look at the fact that within Am Yisrael, the Torah set aside a group of people, members of Shevet Levi, the descendants of Aharon, and called them Kohanim. Assumedly, if we look at the role of the Kohanim within Am Yisrael, we'll have some understanding of what Am Yisrael is supposed to do for the rest of the world. We're meant to be a mamlechet Kohanim. We're meant to be a nation filled with priests, Kohanim who are meant to serve the rest of the world. And within ourselves, we have Kohanim who are meant to serve us in this way. So let's take a look at the role of the Kohanim within Am Yisrael, and perhaps we can then understand what the role Am Yisrael is supposed to play to the, is to the rest of the world. And if we look at the role of Kohanim, I think we can find something very interesting. There are basically two separate functions, two complementary functions that Kohanim seem to have. On the one hand, Kohanim serve in the Beit HaMikdash, and many areas of the Beit HaMikdash are only under their purview, there are many parts of the Beit HaMikdash where only Kohanim are allowed to enter. And they enter it only in order to perform the divine service, to do the Avodah. The Avodah that the Kohanim perform outside of the Beit HaMikdash, on the Mizbeach, on the altar, and inside the Beit HaMikdash, in the lighting of the menorah, in the offering of Ketoret, the placing of the Lechem HaPanim on the Shulchan, and, um, and the few korbanot that are brought into the Beit HaMikdash, and even once a year when the Kohen Gadol uh, enters the Kodesh HaKodashim and Yom Kippur. In all of these areas, the Kohanim are performing avodah. They're performing divine service in the Beit HaMikdash, but not on their own behalf. They're doing it on behalf of the entire people. If they're bringing 
korbanot sibur, if they're bringing part of the standard uh, service that goes on every day, the korban tamid, the sacrifice that's brought early in the morning and late in the afternoon, or the lighting of the menorah and the other things that we just mentioned, then these are korbanot sibur, these are public offerings, public service, and the kohanim are the ones who carry it out, but they're carrying it out on behalf of the entire people. Even if they bring an individual person's uh, sacrifice. For example, if I, as an individual, want to go to the Beit HaMikdash or need to go to the Beit HaMikdash to bring a korban, it could be that I've committed a sin and I need to bring a korban chatat. It could be that I am simply interested, I want to give a korban, I donate an animal as a as a korban ola or as a korban shlamim, or whatever, or a mincha, it doesn't really matter. But any, any korban that I want to bring, I personally have to bring the korban to the Beit HaMikdash. And I can bring the animal up to the har, up to the mountain, into the outer courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. And I can even approach the beginnings of the inner courtyard, the Ezrat Yisrael. I can lean my hands on the animal's head, perform smicha. And if I know how to, I can even slaughter the animal. I can even do the shechita. But from that point forward, the avodah itself has to be done by Kohen. At that point, I have to hand the animal over to the Kohen. And he completes the, the offering for me. He collects the blood. He brings the blood and sprinkles the blood on the Mizbeach. He places the pieces of the animal onto the Mizbeach. Essentially, the Kohen serves as my messenger. So whether the Kohen is acting on behalf of the entire nation in a capacity of a representative of the people as a whole, or whether he's acting as a representative of a particular individual, it is the Kohen that brings our korbanot to God. Kohen serves as some sort of an intermediary. He brings our our service of God, goes through him, and he's the one who actualizes that which the rest of us are trying to do. On the other hand, when God wants to respond to those korbanot, he has a bracha that he wants to give to the people. And he wants somebody to pronounce that bracha. He sends those very same koanim. And this is also mitzvah in the Torah, birkat koanim. He sends the koanim to arise onto the duchan, to climb up to the platform, to raise their hands, and to pronounce his brachot, as we read in the book of Bamidbar in Parshat Naso, Ko tivarchu et b'nei Yisrael, v'samu et shemia b'nei Yisrael, v'aniyavarchem. The kohen has to be the one to transmit the, um, the blessings of Hashem to the people. So if you look at that, what the kohen basically does is he serves as the intermediary. He serves as the one who... Um, who connects the people with God. He's the one who brings the people's sacrifices to Hashem, and he's also the one who brings Hashem's brachot to the people. That's the ceremonial role, if you will, of the Kohen. But the broader role of the Kohen, we find the Kohen very often in the Torah uh, in the same context as Shoftim, as judges. Uh, we find the Kohanim serving as as teachers. The Kohen, the Kohen is the one who's meant to be a sort of religious and spiritual leader. In a sense, if you will, what later on became known as a rabbi was the original f- function of the Kohen. So that's what the Kohanim are within B'nai Israel. But Hashem told us, kohanim. We have to be an entire nation full of Kohanim. And what that means is that the role that the Kohanim play for us, bringing our service to Hashem and bringing Hashem down to us, or Hashem is brachot down to us, 
That's the rule that we have to play for the rest of the world, all of us. And that's the purpose of the Torah that was received on Har Sinai. The entire Torah, those psukim that we started today's discussion with, Fatem Kadosh, are part of the Brit, are part of the covenant that was entered into at Har Sinai when we received the Torah. That means that the purpose of the entire Torah is nothing other than that. It's to enable us to be the intermediary between the rest of the world and Hashem. And if you put that concept in the context of what we've been discussing in these weekly podcasts, it suddenly becomes clear that this moment when Am Yisrael stood at the foot of Har Sinai and received that command, Vatem Kadosh, that was nothing other than the formalization and the actualization of the mission that was given hundreds of years earlier to Avraham Avinu. Think about it. Avraham Avinu was told, Lech Lecha Me'artzecha, in the future, you're going to become a great nation. And as we discussed over the past few weeks, that mission that was given to Avraham did not reach its fulfillment in Avraham's own lifetime or in the life of his son or grandson. The mission was passed down from Avraham to Yitzchak, we saw, and from Yitzchak to Yaakov, and there was a Brit Bene Betarim, there was a prophecy of hundreds of years of slavery. Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim, as we discussed last week. He was told that his descendants are going to become that great nation in Mitzrayim. When they finally left Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu was told, that you have to come to Har Sinai. And there on Har Sinai, you're going to get the, you're going to get the, the ability to, to, to do what you have to do. And that's when they were told about Tem Kadosh. This is the point in time when the promise and the mission that was given to Avram begins to become a reality. Now, we have Am Yisrael standing there at the foot of Har Sinai. And they're, they're given this challenge, Vatem Tiuli Mamlechet Kohanim Begoy Kadosh, and they respond, Kol Asher Diber Hashem Naaseh. They respond that in fact, they accept the challenge. And then what happens is that Moshe goes back up onto Har Sinai, there's a whole, there's a whole ceremony, they receive the Aserata Dibrot, the ten statements, they're not called commandments in the Torah, they're told, called the ten statements, Aserata Dibrot. There are sacrifices offered the but Moshe goes up to the mountain for 40 days and receives the entire Torah. And therefore, we should look now at the entire Torah, and suddenly, I think, the entire Torah takes on a completely different perspective. Because it turns out, unlike what many people think, if you look at it, it's clear that the Torah is not simply a book of religion. The Torah is not about how to serve God, uh, how to be a religious Jew, and how to serve God through prayer and sacrifice. The Torah certainly discusses those things. But that's only one small part of what the Torah commands us in. The Torah commands us about every area of life. Personal life. The Torah talks about how to how to deal with our business transactions, how to deal with our fellow man in all sorts of circumstances. But not only that, the Torah also, the Torah also addresses in many of its laws the life of a nation. In fact, I would like to suggest that the Torah should be looked upon not as a book of religion and not even as a way for uh, 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 instructions for how each one of us is to live our lives. The Torah has all that in it. 
But much more than that, I would like to suggest that the Torah should be viewed as the constitution for a nation and the blueprint of a society. And as I'm going to begin to show you in a few minutes, and this is going to take also next week's podcast to do this properly, but what the Torah did is it addressed for us every aspect of running a society, an entire country, a nation. And basically what Am Yisrael was supposed to do was to take the Torah from Har Sinai and go into Eretz Canaan and set up a society following these instructions. It's an instruction manual for how to run an entire country. And notice that the Torah said, Vatem Tiyuli, it didn't just say, Vatem Tiyuli Kohanim. It didn't just say, I want you to be Kohanim for me. It said, I want you to be Mamlechet Kohanim. I want you to create a nation. And now we can begin to understand why Eretz Canaan is Dafka where it is. We talked about the fact that maybe it would have made sense to send Am Yisrael off to some distant land, off to America or Australia or something like that, and let Am Yisrael live in isolation where they won't be influenced by the rest of the world. But if they were over there, they wouldn't be influenced perhaps by others, but they couldn't influence others either. If you look at a map of the world, or if you look at world history, it's very clear. Um, Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Canaan, as it was called then, is literally the center of the world. It's at the crossroads of the three main continents of the ancient world for sure. Uh, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So certainly in ancient times, the crossroads between the two great centers of ancient civilization, Egypt to the south and Mesopotamia to the north. But even in modern times, the Middle East, Ad Hayom Hazeh, the Middle East is something, is, a, is an area that the entire world is focused on because it's literally in the center of the world. And at the center of the Middle East stands Eretz Yisrael. And it's exactly there that Hashem wants us. He wants us there and He wants us to set up a perfect society there. A society that can serve as a model to the rest of the world. So let's let's do this. Let's take a look at certain aspects of what the Torah says and try to see how it does this, how the Torah gives us a blueprint for running a, an entire society. And let's also try to imagine what a country would look like if it was actually set up according to the Torah. So let's imagine that we were about to create a society from scratch. Let's imagine that we're planning out how to run a country. One place we might start is to pick a city or, or an area to build our capital city. Every country, every nation has a capital. It's the place, it has, it has very certain, certain very important practical functions. The capital city is the place where the government sits, where the king or the legislature or the, or the president or whatever it is that, whatever form of government they have, there needs to be a physical place where those people, where those people are located, where those who need to come into direct contact with the government officials, where they go. And capital cities are also usually, uh, administrative centers, uh, that go beyond the only government. They're very often the seat of the, the, the country's financial life and the center of its cultural life. Sometimes those functions are split between different cities, but very often they're all in the same city. And capital cities are usually also places which have um, public monuments and other forms of symbols that anyone who comes to the capital city gets a sense. If you think of the great capitals of the world, if you go to London or Paris or Washington, you'll, you'll see that each of those cities represents 
uh, to those who come within its gates what the nation that it uh, that it leads represents. So we're going to need a capital city for our for our nation. And if we look in the Torah, we'll see that the Torah describes a capital city. Interestingly enough, the Torah doesn't ever say where the capital should be. It only describes it as Hamakom Asher Yivchar Hashem L'Shakein Shmosham. The Torah describes a place that God will choose in the future. And it took until the, the time period discussed in the book of Shmuel Aleph, uh, the time of David, before it became clear where that capital city was. And in fact, uh, not all the people accepted that. And the entire book of Melachim is about uh, the struggle to define uh, Yerushalayim as that actual place. The Torah doesn't tell us it's going to be in Yerushalayim for whatever reasons, and that's a very interesting question why it does not, but that discussion is not for now. What I want to focus on now is the way in which the Torah describes this place. Let's take a look in the book of Dvarim, Perik Yud Bet. In the book of Dvarim, Perik the Torah describes this place that God will one day choose. And it tells us about it the following. I'm reading from the beginning of Perik Yudbet. Eila hachukim v'hamishpatim asher tishmirun la'asot ba'aretz asher natan Hashem elokev otecha lecha l'rishta kol ha'yemim asher atem chayim al ha'adama abed te'abdun et kol ha'mekomot asher abdu sham ha'goyim asher atem yorshim otam et Eloheim al ha'harim ha'ramim ve'al ha'gvaot We've skipped now, we're going to go back to the book of Shemot, but we've skipped now uh, into the book of Dvarim, uh, just to see some of the laws that were given to us in the Torah. And here in the book of Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking at the very end of the four years, uh, as B'nai Israel, as Am Yisrael was about to enter the land of Canaan. And he tells them that when you get there, you're going to find that the land of Canaan, which, as we've mentioned, was already inhabited by the Canaanim, it's infested with idolatry. On every hilltop and under every tree, you're going to find paganism. You're going to find temples and altars and idols and all sorts of places where the, the nations of Canaan worship their false gods. And Abed to Abdun, you have to destroy these places completely. You have to eradicate all vestiges of paganism, of idolatry from the land, smash them, obliterate them, destroy them, cut them down, and eradicate all vestiges of them from that place. That's the commandment. Wipe out idolatry completely. And then the Torah continues with a very strange pasuk. It then says, Lo ta'asun kein l'ashem But don't do that to God. And of course the question is, don't do what to God? What is it that I'm not supposed to do to God? One possible interpretation of this pasuk, which is actually one of the ways in which the Gemara reads this pasuk, lehalacha, is we just said that you have to destroy the pagan altars and the idols and the temples to Avodah Zarah, don't do that to God. Don't destroy places of, of divine worship. And in fact, the Gemara learns from this Pasuk a prohibition and Isur not to, not to erase Hashem's name or not even to take a stone out of the Mizbeach. But that's not the Pshat of the Pasuk. That's the halachic meaning perhaps, but that's not the Pshat. The Pshat of the Pasuk actually is 
the Goyim, the nations, the pagans in Canaan, they worship their gods. They put their pagan temples everywhere. But you, don't do that to Hashem. What should you do instead? Pasuk Dalid, Ki imela makom asher yivchar Hashem elokeichem mikol shivteichem lasum et shmosham lishichno tidrashu uvatashama. There's going to be one place and only one place where God will choose to rest His divine presence, and there and only there are you to go to to uh, to serve Him. Lishichno tidrashu. Seek out His dwelling place. In that, in that makom asher yivchar, uvata shama and go there, vehevetem shama, olotechem vizivchechem, veet masrotechem, veet shumat yedchem, etc. There and only there you are to bring your korbanot. So the Torah contrasts, and it's an interesting concept because one might have thought that what the Goyim did was actually very nice. Not nice that they worshiped pagan gods, but the fact that their entire land was filled with home places of worship. Maybe we think we should do the same thing. That we're going to find we're going to find under every tree and on every hill places of Avodah Zarah. Perhaps we would have thought that we should replace those under every tree and on every hill with places of, of the service of God. Just like today we have Batei Knesset and Batei Midrash all over the country and in fact all over the world. But for whatever reason, that's not what Hashem wants, it says. He wants one place and one place only where there's going to be a Beit HaMikdash and it's prohibited to serve Hashem and to bring a Korban anywhere else. Only there is where, um, is where it's to take place. And, uh, and it's prohibited, the Psukim later on say that it's prohibited to, um, to bring Korbanot anywhere else. In other words, the non-Jews, the Canaanites, worshipped many gods in many locations, but we are to worship only one god and in only one location. And that location is going to be called HaMakom HaSheyivchar Hashem. But it's not only the Kohanim who are going to serve in the Mikdash there. The Torah gives us a whole series of laws which require all of us to go there. There's the mitzvah of Aliyah L'Regel. All the males, all the men are meant to, are required to go to that place three times a year. To, to serve Hashem on the Chagim of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. At least once a year, uh, most women and older children have to come also because the Seder Pesach, the Korban Pesach, which everybody, women as well, are obligated um, uh, to perform, has to be done in Yerushalayim or in the Makom HaShev Char Hashem, as the Torah describes it. Once every seven years, in Hakel, every single man, woman, and child, even the smallest infant, is supposed to come there as we gather together there to reaffirm nationally our commitment to the Torah. Individuals also have to go there for, for various korbanot, for various, um, for example, uh, if someone committed a sin, they have to find the time to go to Yerushalayim and bring a korban chatat. A woman has a baby, a very happy event in her life. She has to go to Yerushalayim, to the Makoma Shev Khar Hashem, to bring a korban. We also have mitzvot like Ma'aser Sheni. Four out of the seven years, 9% approximately of the produce is defined as Ma'aser Sheni. And that has to be taken 
It's unlike the other trumot in Masrod. You know, we give trumot to the Kohen, we give Maser Rishon to the Levi. Certain years we have Maser Ani, which is given to the poor person. Maser Sheni, though, is not given to anybody. If I'm a farmer, I have to separate out, it turns out to be about 9% of my crops, which are defined as Maser Sheni. And then I don't give it to anybody. I keep it for myself. Only thing I have to do with it is I have to eat it in Yerushalayim. It or its value, there's a way to transfer the Kiddushah to money. But I have to take that to, to Yerushalayim and I have to eat it there. And one has to wonder what the point of that is. Perhaps the point is it forces me to spend time in Yerushalayim. It forces me to take a vacation and hang out for a bit in that atmosphere of Yerushalayim, in the shadow of the Beit HaMikdash, in that place. So the capital city of Am Yisrael where the Beit HaMikdash is and where the king is also supposed to build his palace, is a place where at the center of it all is the Beit HaMikdash. But it's not only, it's not only the site of religious worship. Something else is supposed to happen in that very same place. And here if we stay in the book of Dvarim, but if we move to Perek Tetzayin, we read something else. It says there in Perek Tetzayin, chapter 16, Pasuk Chet, Let's say there's a question of halacha. There's a question of law. And it's not clear what the halacha is. It could be a matter of what we call religious law. Or ritual law. It could be something that's bein dam ledam or bein nega lenega. Questions of tumah tahara. Or it could also be a matter of civil law. It could be that there's a dispute. Somebody's suing somebody else for money. There was a business dispute. There's a, there's a din nizikin. Somebody, there was a car accident or some other incident where somebody claims that somebody else caused him damage or somebody's claiming that somebody else stole his money. Whatever it is, ben dam ladan, ben din ladin, ben nega lenega. Whatever it is, there's a question. You don't know what the law is. What are you supposed to do? When you don't know what to do, in practical terms, how to conduct your life, and you go to your local judge, your local rabbi, as we would say today, and he doesn't know what to do, you're supposed to get up and go to the place where the Beit HaMikdash is. But not because God's going to give you the answer. It's not that you bring a korban and some kind of divine message comes down. That's not what you do. You go to that same place, Amakom Meshiv Charashem, Uvata, but you go instead, not to Hagad, but El HaKohanim HaLeviim, Ve'el HaShofet, Asher Yiyeh Bayamim Ahem, Vidarashta V'yigidu Lechat Varamishpat. This is the source for what later became known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin that serves as both, in modern terms, the Supreme Court, the final word of the justice system, and also, as what we call today the legislature, the body that's able to enact legislation, create mitzvot de Rabbanan, the, so the legislative and the judicial branches of government are located in the Beit HaMikdash. The Sanhedrin later on had a room called Lushkata Gazit in the Beit HaMikdash. And the executive branch of government as well. The king's palace is also right there. So unlike certain other societies, later on in history, for example, in the Middle Ages, there was this concept in the Christian church that there was the secular authorities and there was the church and the two have to be separate. There's the religious holy people and, there's the, and then there's the civilian authorities. 
Uh, America today also has a concept of separation of church and state, which may have certain practical benefits. But as an ideology, the Torah, the Torah doesn't see it that way at all. And the Torah also doesn't um, relate to certain concepts that various religions or ideologies have developed where the holy people are supposed to become hermits or monks or supposed to go into Hitbodudut to somewhere off in a desert and live in monasteries or things like that. No, 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 no. Our Kohanim are the Shoftim. They're the judges and they sit in the capital of the city. So when you look at this capital city that the Torah created, this vision of Hamakom, Torah didn't tell us even where it's going to be, but there's going to be a place where at the center is the Beit HaMikdash. It's there that you go to bring your korbanot. It's also there that you'll find all the branches of government. It's the capital of the country, the, the executive branch, the king, the judicial and legislative branches of the Sanhedrin are all right there next to the Beit HaMikdash. And it's a place that all the people have to go to multiple times a year. It's the center of society in very practical terms. And it's a center, it's a place which at the center of it all stands the Beit HaMikdash. That's the starting point of the vision for the society that the Torah wants to build. Next week, Bezrat Hashem, we'll fill in some more of the details by looking at other mitzvot in the Torah, and then we'll see how this concept of Mamlechet Kohanim Begoy Kadosh is meant to work. Until then, Shalom.